Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, here's our lead pastor, Matthew Malik. The Bible Season 3, Part 4, and the title of today's message is Forward. Over the last four weeks, we've talked about the different directions of revival. We've talked about inward. We've looked at outward, upward, and now we're going forward with this message this morning. And, and I want to begin by talking a little bit about spiritual hunger. The Bible talks about in Matthew 5, 8, how at actually Jesus with the Beatitudes, he, he made a statement. He, he gave eight Beatitudes, and he said, blessed are thee. And in verse 6, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, they shall be filled. Now, we understand that all of us hunger and thirst, but we don't all hunger and thirst for the right things. And, and I'm, I'm, I want to challenge you to begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, which really is, means to be right with God, to, to have God's influence prevailing in your life. So I want to encourage you to be hungry and thirsty. And I'm looking so forward to Isaiah coming next month to be with us. We're believing God for a powerful, impactful time as he ministers to this community. So you have an opportunity here today to receive from God's word. And I believe that what you receive can make a positive difference in your life. Because you are here, it tells me that you place the priority on the word of God seeing that it's important for you to come to church and worship and receive biblical truth that can help impact your life. Your presence here, I believe, is an indication of your hunger for God and your desire to grow. Our key scripture for this series has been found in Psalm 85. If you have your Bibles turned there, we have it on the slide behind me as well on the screen. Psalms 85, verses 6 and 7. And we see this as the plea, the heart cry of the psalmist, which I believe should be our heart cry as believers today. Let's take it up in verse 6. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. And we've mentioned that revival always brings a fresh revelation and an encounter with the love of God. It always brings an opportunity for salvation to be experienced by those who do not have a relationship with Christ. Those that Jesus in the Bible talks about as being lost in their sins and without God, without hope in this world. We want to encourage you to join with us now as we pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to receive from your word. Father, I pray that you anoint the words that I speak to be impactful in the lives of these people that have gathered here today. In Jesus' name, Father, thank you for stirring our hearts in bringing us to a place of greater awareness, a place of greater understanding, a place of inspiration so that we can live out our lives to serve your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to put out a plug for prayer Tuesday nights at 6 o'clock from 6 to 7. We meet here in the sanctuary. Join us. It's an hour of power. It's a time that you can come and just uh, set that time aside to really seek the heart of God. 
uh, and being with God's people that are also seeking God in that, in that moment. So what is revival? Well, we found out from Merriam-Webster's dictionary that revival is an act or instance of reviving. It's the state of being revived. Now, revival is really a resurrection to life, to consciousness, to vigor or strength. It's like getting that injection, that spiritual high that, that begins to give you uh, energy and passion and incentive to really walk out this life with Christ. See, being a Christian is not just a life of boredom. You don't have to feel like you're going to be obliged or cursed with a life of boredom. Well, oh, this is no fun. This is just tough sledding. No, being a Christian and a true follower of Christ can be the most exciting life that can possibly be lived. And, and we need to discover that dynamic of Christianity because the world has painted a wrong picture of what true Christianity is. Because true Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. It's vital. It's living. And it, when you think about the fact that we can communicate with the God of creation that created this world, I mean, that's pretty awesome to think about. Revival here, and this is a statement I came across. I'm going to share with you. Revival is better referenced as an awakening, okay, in a church or in a community. It's an awakening of interest in and care for matters relating to right relationship with God. It is not only personal, but it's also a powerful encounter with him that will change the course of your life. It really will. See, things change. Something changed in my life when I committed my heart to Jesus Christ at the age of 17. From that day forward, my life changed. It took on a, a different direction, a different directive. And, and, and I believe many of you here can share the same thing that occurred, that something changed, something transpired in you that was so significant, so real, so powerful, life-changing. See, revival is based from the word revive. And revive simply means to restore to life or consciousness, to activate, to set into motion, to take up again, to renew. It means and implies all of those things. Now, revival addresses those who were once alive but have signs of being dead. Did you ever hear the one about the... Uh, um, uh, yeah, I'll make sure I share this one quite right because I hadn't planned on sharing this one. Um, uh, there was somebody in a church service that had died, and when the paramedics arrived, um, they removed eight people f before they got the right one, okay? Yeah, okay. Now, uh, see, sometimes as Christians, we can appear to be dead. We can be sleeping. And, and when, when you're asleep, you're kind of in that state of subconsciousness. You can actually appear as somebody who's dead. But as Christians, we can't be dead in our walk with God. And there's times that we backslide. There's times that we slip back and fall away from the Lord, and we appear as being dead spiritually. In other words, it really addresses, revival addresses the church of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, 
the people that have already given their lives to him. But then when the church becomes revived, then that impacts the world. It goes beyond the boundaries of the church walls, and it goes into the community. Because as people, as Christians, we're, we're working with people in the community, with our family, our friends. We're uh, you know, just spending time with them, mingling with them. And in, in that contact with them, we can impact their lives and bring them to a saving experience with Jesus as well. Now, how have we defined revival spiritually? Well, revival is an awakening of our hearts to an increased awareness of the presence of God and life in Him. See, it's evidenced in a renewed love for Jesus Christ, a fresh passion and hunger for His Word, and also hatred for the crippling power of sin. You just begin to hate the sin that's in your life that is trying to separate you or alienate you from God. And we understand that God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. But when revival and awakening comes to us, we begin to actually hate sin in our life. And that doesn't mean we, we can hate people. We can hate their sin and we love them, right? And so I call it the God encounter. God wants to encounter us when revival shows up. So we're talking about forward this morning, forward. And the definition of forward is onward so as to make progress. So we're talking about something going forward. It means onward so as to make progress, to advance toward a successful c conclusion. So it's really advancing. And so uh, relating to, uh, actually forward relates to, or getting ready for the future. That's how Merriam-Webster defines it. Relating to or getting ready for the future. It's a preparation. You're moving forward. Um, it also is defined as moving ahead. Now, and you can apply that in a buffet line or when you're at the DMV. You're waiting to get ahead. Now they have the number system, so they just call you a number. Um, and, and years ago, you just had to wait in line. But so it's moving ahead. Getting a next spot. Oh, I'm getting closer. Getting closer to the line. Getting closer to being served, okay? Uh, it also means straightforward. Uh, from, it can be from this day forward in reference to that. From now on. To move forward is a summons or it could be an invitation to come forth in that, in that way. And most of us have email. How many of you have an email account? Okay, you have this unique feature that you can click on that says forward, right? That means you can forward what you receive to someone else. You can send it on, okay? That's another use of that word. Forward is a direction that is part of a process, okay? Now, in your automobile, to place your car in drive, which is really going forward, you first must pass reverse, Maybe you have a different kind of car, but, or if you have a stick shift, it may be a little different configuration. But most of the time, you have to go in reverse before you can go forward, right? If backing out of the garage, backing out of a driver, uh, a parking space, you have to usually put it in reverse before you can go forward. Unless you blow out the reverse in your transmission like my brother did with my dad's car years ago. He was doing reverse to lows, and it was a three-speed on the column. Remember those? Some of you don't remember and don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, but he was doing reverse to lows in the 1962 Chevy Impala, which was the car that 
the kids used to go to school and get around. It wasn't the main family car, but it was one of the cars on the farm. And so he blew up the reverse. And guess what? My dad never found out about that till years later. Because every time he would park it to make sure that he didn't have to back up. <laughs> now think about that. You have to be very strategic in how you park that vehicle, okay? And so, because that car would only go forward. It would not go in reverse unless you pushed it. And there were a few times we had to push it. And so, and that was usually my job. He'd say, Matt, get out there and push the car. So anyway, now, uh, now Deb thinks I have backing issues. Yeah, and, and she's got good reason to believe that. <laughs> now, I've had many close calls, only two that ended up in accidents. And one, one time it was right here in the church parking lot. In, in my spot, it's usually right where it is, the, the farthest one to the left, right before the driveway, on the right side of the driveway, this side of the driveway. And so I'm backing out, and, and I looked. There was a, a big van next to me, so I couldn't really see that well. So I was backing out. I had a suburban, and all of a sudden I hear this, and this van went sailing by, and I totally sideswiped the whole thing with the corner end of the bumper. And there wasn't even a scratch on the Suburban. But I totaled that vehicle. Totaled that vehicle. And so I called my insurance agent, John Rao, and he gave me direction. Oh, Pastor Matt, well, you've got to be careful. I know that's what my wife is telling me. I've got to be careful. And so... So I was a whole lot more cautious after that, making sure, um, you know, backing up. And then with the Suburban, it was a few months later. We're in town on Michigan Avenue. And at that time, we were picking up uh, some uh, kids for soccer, a soccer game. I pull in the driveway in Michigan and, uh, you know, Clark Street. It's a pretty busy intersection there. And the house was right on the corner. And so I'm looking to my right and as the cars go, because, you know, they were passing. And all of a sudden, the guy stops. He's so nice, and he motions for me to come. And I didn't realize that the light had changed from green to red. And so these other cars stopped. I didn't know there was a vehicle right behind me. And the guy was so nice, he motioned for me to back out. So I back out, and I'm not going too far. And all of a sudden, I hear crunch. It just happened to be a Volvo. Oh, expensive repair bills on those things. So I called the insurance agent again and said, Pastor, you have to be careful. I said, yes, that's what my wife is telling me. <laughs> so, you know, for a while there, you know, I, I was claim free for a long time, and, but that really hurt our insurance rates and all that, paid the price for that. Then when you get teenagers getting their license, insurance rates go up even higher. So, you know, half of our paychecks going for insurance, you know. And anyway, but... You know, now we have a terrain, and there's a camera on the back side. So every time I put in reverse, I can see where I'm backing. So if I get an accident now, then it's, who knows? But we won't, we won't even prophesy that or anything like that. Anyway, but she thinks I have backing problems, and I, I think you probably would agree with her. Uh, and my, my children are that way too. Dad, be careful. And I've had close calls. I've all, I've, I've, all, Almost run over people. And that's not good. That's not good. Oh, I didn't see you there, you know. <laughs> okay. 
almost backed into a bicyclist one time. He was not happy. Okay. 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 Pray for your pastor. Okay. Pray for so I got three points. We want to we share these three points with you. To move forward, we must first embrace the moment. Okay, we're talking about moving forward. To move forward, we must embrace the moment. There's a moment that God wants to give us. And when I speak of a moment, I'm referring to a time when you encounter God in a meaningful way, okay? See, we call it a turning. We can call it a turning point. We can call it a defining moment in a person's life where they encounter Jesus and experience his love, his realness, and just have that. How many of you experienced an encounter with Jesus where he actually made himself real to you? An undeniable experience. Yes. I believe every one of us can have that. If you haven't, it's available for you. And so as we draw closer to God, the sin in our lives, which we once accepted as normal, becomes distasteful. And see, that's what happened in my encounter with Jesus. All of a sudden, the things I was doing wrong that I knew wasn't right, that was sin, wasn't pleasing God, those things begin to bring a conviction where before, oh, everybody's doing this, so this is okay, this is acceptable. No, it was no longer acceptable in my life. It became loathsome to me. We see a man in the Old Testament, his name was Job. He was considered the most righteous and holy and godly man of his generation. He declared in Job 42, verses 5 and 6, he said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. He's speaking of, of God. But now I see, my eye sees you. See, he had that moment with God. He had that encounter with God where God showed up in Job's life. And notice what verse 6 says. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. He realized the condition of his life and his sinful nature. But yet, God in his love was able to redeem him and lift him out of that because of his love. See, in revival, God first refines and purifies his people, okay? And then he fills them with his power and places in the heart his love and compassion. His heart... And his love and his compassion begin to flood into us so that we can have compassion for those who are lost and without him and without hope in the world so that we can share the love of God with them. Number two, point number two, to move forward must become a movement. To move forward must become a movement. See, a moment was always meant to be a movement. Get that. A moment was always meant to be a movement. See, if a moment impacts you, that moment should always lead to a movement. It should change the course of your life. It should change the direction of your life. You may have an encounter with Jesus, which is a moment, but unless that moment moves you, it will just be a memory that you can reflect upon. Oh, yeah, it was good. Oh, it was so good. But guess what? It can be good every day of your life because Jesus is real every day of your life. See, when you come to church, when you come to a church service and all of a sudden God gets a hold of your life, that's a moment. That's a moment. And many of you have shared that moment when that happened in your life, how God encountered you. 
But if that moment impacts you, it should always lead to a movement of God that takes you beyond the moment. You got that? So we need to go forward. This uh, Exodus chapter 14, there was a time, there was a moment for Israel. They had just left the captivity of Egypt and they began their trek in the wilderness. And all of a sudden, there was a little bit of a minor, uh, something that got in the way. You know what that was? The Red Sea? The Red Sea, yeah, that's a body of water. There's this massive body of water that just happened to be there. And all of a sudden, the Egyptians are now on their tail, and they're facing an obstacle before them. And notice in verse 14, and this is in light of moving forward, the Lord will fight for you. You may feel that you're in a place where you're stuck right now, and you can't move forward because of a circumstance, a situation that you found yourself in. Verse 14 again, the Lord will fight for you and you will have only to be silent. Sometimes the best thing to to do is just be quiet, hold your peace, right? Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. What? Go forward? God, don't you see the Red Sea? You want me to tell them to go and drown? This is crazy. Notice what it, verse, what it says in the next verse. Lift up your staff. Now, the staff represents the authority of God. And stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. So go forward. Go forward. Even though there may be an obstacle, even though it may seem impossible to go forward, you can go forward. You've had that moment. Now you need to have the movement so you can go forward. See, forward is a direction that refers, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to give you point number three. How about we'll give you point number three, then I'll explain it, okay? Point number three, moving forward will always take you to the future. It will always take you to the future. See, we have the moment, we have the movement, and then we have our future. Forward is the direction that refers to dreaming into the future, and, and we have the, the mugs here. If you're a visitor this morning, you'll get a mug back there. It says the best is yet to come. We have some refuge ones too. You can, I guess, take your pick. But the best is yet to come. That's in reference to the future. You may think you've had it good. Maybe you haven't had it so good. But the promise is the best is yet to come. It's not where you've been, but it's where you're going that matters. It's not where you've been. It's not where you are, but it's where you're going that matters. See, uh, I call this thing, uh, we call this thing rearview mirror Christianity. And maybe I should have used the rearview mirror more often in my experience of driving. But there's a mentality that Christians have that allow, allows their past to hold them from advancing into the future. Looking back can be harmful. Staring in the rearview mirror will result in an accident if you're moving forward. If you're going backwards, it's okay, okay? Um, because you fail to see what's coming ahead. An occasional glance in the rearview mirror is okay, but it's never to be the focus of the driver. That's why it's much smaller than the windshield of your car, because it's just meant for occasional glance to see what's coming up behind you, right? Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12, 
This is not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. So Paul was saying, hey, I haven't arrived. You might think I'm a good man, I'm a great man, but I haven't arrived yet. I'm not where I need to be, but I'm on this journey. And it goes on to say, but I press on to make it my own. And that is seizing to, to walk into the perfection that God has for our lives. It goes on to say, because Christ has made me his own. Now think about that. If Christ has made you his own, we need to make him our own. Amen? There's that relationship. There's that connection. And so verse 13 says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. See, there's got to be this effort that we put towards looking for the future because you can be stagnated. You can just think, well, I guess it's, it's I don't want to think about the future. It's, it's scary. It's fearful. There's questions. There's doubts. There, there's all kinds of uncertainties. But yet we know that God has ordained a future for us. And when we're connected with him, that future doesn't have to be without hope. That future doesn't have to be bleak or grim. We realize that rearview mirrors are designed for reflection, not direction. And God wants to give you direction in your life. And as Apostle Paul passionately made that his quest, I'm pressing on. I'm looking to the future. I'm looking ahead. Before we bring this to a close, I wanted to share just a little bit about vision because when we think about vision, vision always is reflecting to the future. It's looking to the future. And, you know, some, some people in a culture of fortune tellers, they're, they're trying to attempt to predict the future, tell the future, but they're trying to do it from a different avenue, a different source. We can look to God who knows the future better than you can remember the past. You don't need a fortune teller when you have the Holy Spirit, when you have the Word of God. And, and God has, according to Jeremiah 29, 11, He has promised to give you a future and a hope. You are not hopeless. There's no hopeless person unless they reject what God is offering to them because God gives us a hope and a purpose, and we see that in, in uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. I want to share a quote, and I, I think this is so important. This is a quote by Dr. Miles Monroe. Now, he, a couple of years ago, died in the plane crash, went home to be with Jesus. But this was a man that Pastor Deb and I got to be friends with, and, and John and Dorothy here, and a number of others have, have met him in our congregation. But he was a very prolific and profound man, and he's authored many books, and, and we encourage you to read his books. They will inspire you. They'll help build your faith. But he, in quoting him, he talks about vision because vision really is the ability to see things as they should be. If your vision is correct, God wants you to have correct vision, but many times we're out, it's out of focus. Your vision is out of focus. It's not in touch. And in the natural, we have to have contacts, eyeglasses, they stick surgery to correct the, the broken focus or the uh, eyes that don't see clearly, okay? So this is a quote from Dr. Monroe. Vision is the source and hope of life. The greatest gift ever given to mankind is not the gift of sight, but the gift of vision. Sight is a function of the eyes. Vision is a function of the heart. Eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. 
Nothing noble or noteworthy on earth was ever done without vision. No invention, development, or great feat was ever accomplished without vision. Now let me uh, ask you this question as, as we bring this portion of the message to close. What is obscuring your vision that is preventing you from moving forward in life? What eyeglasses are you looking through? Some of us may have blurred vision. Sometimes things can be out of focus and we need something to adjust our focus. God's word will make things clear. I want to share with you Scripture, 2 Corinthians 3.17. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord there is liberty. But notice verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. See, God wants you to look into the mirror of his word and to allow his vision for your life to come into view. God wants to give you a picture of what he's ordained for your life. And we see a general sense of it in the word, and his spirit will reveal the specifics of that vision that God has for your life. As a church, we have a vision. As individuals, we have vision. Within the church, different areas have visions for, for like the young adults, the, the refuge kids, the refuge student ministries, uh, Stevensburg Christian Academy. All of these entities within the vision of refuge have visions. They have a plan, a gaze of the future of what God wants to do in those areas and what he is doing. Because vision is something that unfolds. Vision is something that comes to pass. And so uh, Proverbs 4.25, and this is the last verse I'll share with you here. It says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. See, God wants you to look forward. He wants you to look to him. And I want you at this time, we're going to take a moment and pray because I want you to look at your own life and evaluate where you're at right now. Uh, maybe you're at a place where you know that your life is not right with God. Maybe you're not at peace with him. But yet you're in a place where you're ready to really turn it all over to him and really make a commitment to him and get things right. See, you don't have the capacity to fix it. What's, what's wrong in your life. Let me say it again. You don't have the capacity or the ability to fix what's wrong in your life. You can make an attempt and make some choices, but it's only when you allow God in that that will happen, that he will begin to change and transform you and fix what's broken and make it right. See, there's terms and conditions for coming to Jesus. In Luke 14, Jesus said, before you follow me, you have to count to cost. It's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you surrendering your will, your heart, your strength to him. And when you do that, then he can come in and make something so significant of your life. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. But yet with him and through him, we can do all things. And so uh, we want to give you an opportunity to pray. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, I've never really given my heart to Jesus. 
And that's one prayer we would like to offer an invitation for those of you that don't have a vital relationship with Jesus. And if you hear you say, Pastor, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I know I need that in my life. Jesus died on the cross. He came to die for your sins, for my sins, so that we could receive forgiveness, so that we could receive the gift of eternal life. Because of the sin of Adam, sin trend, uh, uh, went upon all of humanity. It affected all of us. And the cure for sin is Jesus because he took our place through the sacrificial death on the cross to take your pain, your penalty. He took that upon himself. In exchange, he gives you forgiveness. He gives you life. And he gives you his resurrection power so you can live life in him a life of victory, a life of overcoming whatever is trying to destroy you. Um, so we want to uh, join our faith together. If you're here today, say, uh, Pastor, would you pray for me? Just lift your hand. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I know my life is not right with God, and I'm ready to surrender to him today. Thank you. I see that. Others, praise God. Well, let's stand together. We're going to pray this prayer together. And... And I call it the believer's prayer. And it's a prayer that allows Jesus to gain entrance into our heart because he honors our free will and our choice. He will not force himself upon us. The Bible says as many as have received him, to them he gives the power to become his children, to become children of God. We receive him as Lord and Savior. We accept him. We welcome him into our life. We invite him in. Repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I open my heart to you. I believe you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. And he raised from the dead to give me new life. I believe that. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my heart and into my life to make my life what you want it to be. I surrender to you and I commit my life to you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer sincerely, I can attest to you that Jesus is now the Lord of your life. If you received him, he becomes your Lord, he becomes your Savior and forgiveness of sins begins to, to manifest in your life. And, and he begins to encounter you with his love. Amen. Amen. We're going to also pray a prayer because some of you are stuck. You're like the children of Israel at the Red Sea. And you're thinking, okay, where do we go? You need the Red Sea to split before you. And so we're going to pray right now for you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word of God that went forth this morning. I thank you for these people that are here. And Father, I thank you that no matter what obstacle stands before us, you said to go forward. Father, we thank you that you've given us a future and a hope. And I pray for those that seem to be stuck, that you would allow them to move forward in what you have for them. That they would not just seize the moment, but they would allow you to establish a movement in their life so they can go forward to serve your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. 
If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.